let's pray. Father God, we present this time to you, asking that you would do with it only what you can, that you would take this time, redeem it for our good, that your sheep would be fed and even protected um, by your word. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, which are abundant, new, every morning. Thank you for your desire for us to know you and to know good, which is you. Thank you for a word that can transform us and can pierce the depths of our being and can lay us bare before you to be healed, to be restored, to be found out and therefore fixed. Thank you for all that your grace does on a daily basis in our lives. And I pray that we would be able now with eyes of faith to behold the majesty of your word. These pages that unveil your glory and that display to the universe your plan and your promise, which are unhindered as you reign sovereignly over all things. So we trust you in this hour that you would do much good for us, even though we don't deserve it. And we confess that to you, that we are unworthy. But Jesus is worthy. Therefore, we come in his name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but there are... Uh, never a shortage of half-truths and false narratives that plague our lives and plague our existence as humans and Americans, and certainly we have seen much of that um, unfold over the past few years before us. There is no shortage or no day that is without the goal of deception by the great deceiver. There has been a liar that has existed from the beginning of our human existence who seeks to take God's word and twist it so it presents something other than his gospel and something other than his glory. And so we run into that. In fact, maybe you and I have been a part of some of those half-truths or those lies. But what we become as the people of God are those people who are about the truth. And we know from John 17, 17 that his word is truth. We know that Jesus is the truth. And what that truth uh, ends up being for us, what it, what it is unveiled for us to see, is that we are sinners. God is holy. And there is grace and mercy. That's the truth. And everything that we know as believers, everything that we know about truth, everything that we know about what goodness is, what God is, is filtered through this word, which has proven trustworthy and true. 
this word in its original form. And you can deal with all the apologetics behind that and, uh, you know, the, the translation of those original texts and the copies of the copies of the copies of the copies to the thousands of the thousands that we have that, that verify these very things that we now read in English. And you can do that. But you still might not know or live in or value truth. Brent shared with us in Sunday school a man that he used to know that said he read the Bible seven times a year. It's nothing compared to how Brent reads the Bible every day, right? So, the whole Bible. Anyways, uh, that's a joke, by the way. He doesn't do that. Um, That is, but without a desire, a hunger for truth, that is something, but in the end, it's nothing. Because if you're not eating from this, if you're not enjoying this, if you're not learning from this, if you're not growing from this, if if like Hebrews tells us, if you're not laid bare before this word and it's not transforming you, then, then really it's just another book to you. But this is the source of truth that I am sharing with you today, that you come here to hear about, that you come here to read, that you come here to respond to in praise and worship. This This is truth. And the world and the great deceiver of this world would like for you not to believe the truth, would like for you not to see the truth. In fact, would like to keep um, unbelievers blind to this truth, this word, that they may die along with him. So what we need to gain and what we're going to see in Paul's instruction here as we begin chapter 2 is that we need to gain a hearty appetite, desire, uh, a great understanding, a lifelong seeking of truth so that we're not shaken, we're not moved by the things that we experience. We, We know how to combat the lies of the evil one, which are rampant and abundant, we have what I call gospel surety for eternal hope. We are sure about what the gospel says. Therefore, we have hope through all circumstances. This is coming off of Paul's explanation of what he's desiring for the Thessalonians in the midst of suffering, that they would desire with an eternal hope, they would desire to get there even through the suffering. Because the truth had been delivered to them. You can read about that at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians. And they received it as such. And they're holding on to it because that's true. And they're not going to swerve to the left or the right by some lie. But what is happening to them is they are being troubled with lies. Same thing happens in the church today. Satan wants in here, first and foremost, to take this and do what he did in the garden. To redirect 
some of the words and phrases, to put an emphasis here as opposed to here, to replace a few personal pronouns and things like this to get us to believe something other than the gospel with the word of God. And we can allow that or as God keeps, maintains his truth intact for us and will to the end of time, we can believe this and combat the evil one. If you look in Ephesians 6, if you look in the book of Revelation, you will see that the weapon in hand, when you're talking about the full armor of God, or when you're talking about how Jesus is going to destroy his enemies, especially the evil one, you're talking about the word. You're, you're, you're talking about his truth. will destroy all lies and all those who dispense lies, starting with Satan. And the great lie that the Thessalonians are experiencing is that Jesus had already come back for his people. And that was done. So what would that do to you if you believed that lie as a born-again believer? If you believed that lie, then you would think that there is no longer any hope for you. If Jesus already came back and got his people and I'm still here, then I must not be one of them. Therefore, my faith is void. It's done. I might as well move on with the rest of my existence. So do you see how crushing this lie could be? Where did it come from? Where did it originate? I don't know. We know in uh, Thessalonica they had some problems with the Jews, some big problems, so much so that Paul was driven out and prevented from returning. They even followed him, right, out of Thessalonica. So there's great opposition here. He's already proclaimed to them how they deal with that, how they deal with their suffering, how, what's the goal there, the priority in prayer that we looked at last week. And now he's going to deal with the great lie that is, that is still troubling some of them. In the first letter that he wrote, they were troubled by this lie so much so that, that some of them had given up given up hope, given up pressing on in the faith, given up on growth, given up on prayer, surely, and surely without hope anymore. But the importance of what Paul is called to do, the importance of what uh, gospel teachers are called to do is to hold to the faith the good doctrine, the truth that was, that was delivered to us, that originated with the apostles who laid the foundation of Christ as Lord with these writings, and they've passed them on so much so that Jesus is praying in his great high priestly prayer in, in John 17. He's praying for those of us who have believed through the apostles' word about Jesus being Lord, Christ. So this thing must continue, this truth. And when we begin to uh, believe something other, we find ourselves in great trouble, especially as believers. 
in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Paul's already kind of addressed this. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So what is, what is so troubling about the lies that they're feeling with, about the deception from the evil one, is that Paul had already explained to them earlier how this is going to work when Jesus comes. And they're not going to miss it. And they're going to be gathered, and, and, and the Lord is going to do this work to bring his people with him when he comes. The whole world will hear it. There'll be a trumpet. There'll be the voice of an archangel. He will come for his people. And, and the dead are going to rise first. And so if you think that we're going to be left alone, no, he says you're going to be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet him as he comes in. And he says, encourage one another with these words. And then you get to the second letter and they're still dealing with this problem. Do you know why that would probably be? Because they quit doing verse 18. They, they quit taking the, these words and encouraging one another. Paul told them that they are from the Lord. The apostles who met the resurrected Christ, spent time with the resurrected Christ, had the authority and the commission from him to be his messengers on this sort of level. And it ended with them. That's why we no longer call anybody else an apostle, like some denominations still try and do. That ended. Canon closed. Scriptures done. All we need is here. And they quit verse 18. Now, he doesn't say that, but you can surely read between the lines. If they're still troubled by this deception, then they are forgetting the promise. That's why we have to have gospel surety for eternal hope. We have to know how the whole thing works. Not just uh, his mercy and grace upon us who are sinners, but what that leads to eventually. That's not to say that we have to have every detail of his second coming worked out. I guarantee you we won't. Not even close. The only thing we have to have worked out is what Paul explained in 1 Thessalonians 4, that he is coming, that you will know when he gets here, and that you will be with him when he arrives. Therefore, encourage one another with that. And if somebody seeks to speak a different word, what he's going to say in Galatians, I believe, let him be accursed. Anathema, forget about it. It's nothing. Lies. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, 
either by a spirit or by a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Come. Excuse me. Let no one deceive you in any way. That's where we're stopping today. Let no one deceive you in any way. So, first thing I want to focus on here is, is this gospel surety. Because the first thing he says as he switches gears from chapter 1 to chapter 2 is concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him. He's positioned that phrase very specifically so that we know what we're talking about. That he's coming and will be, to gather, will be gathered together with him. This is a sure thing. And so let's, let's make sure that we're sure on that. Matthew 24, 29 through 31. Jesus is saying, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So we have from Jesus' own mouth the incarnate word, the truth that was made visible and present with us on this earth is telling us, listen, (coughs) there's going to be a loud trumpet call, and that means that the Son of Man, which is Jesus himself, is coming, and, and I'm going to send my angels out to collect you. Maybe some of you grew up using that, that language. or I, I watch older movies and they use this language that, that somebody will be by to collect you. you know. And that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to come by and collect his people from one end of heaven to the other. In other words, encompassing the whole universe, the whole of existence. They're going to get them. Now, Paul had that before he ever knew the resurrected Christ. These words were spoken to the disciples. They knew this already. And yet, the evil one was still seeking to bring lies into the Thessalonian church to get them off course in their gospel surety, in their eternal hope. So, it's no... um, mistake or no small thing that Jesus and his apostles spoke often about his coming. Now, you can spend your whole life trying to interpret what it means when the sun will be darkened and all that sort of stuff and the stars fall from heaven and you can investigate all these theories about um, astronomy and how whatever. The issue is he will come, he will get his people Stop freaking out about it. That's the Darby paraphrase. We need to quit this. This obsession with how we're going to know when. It will come like a thief in the night, Jesus says. One thing I do want you to focus on, and one thing that they should have been focusing on, is that they are being gathered to him. Together, to him. They are being gathered to dwell with him. 
Revelation 21, 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So, he's not going to, like, forget about you. You know, he's not going to leave you at home, so to speak. But he, he, if his desire is to make a dwelling place with man, then he will do that. Therefore, stay calm. He says in verse 2, don't be quickly shaken in mind or, or disturbed or lose your composure or however you want to say that, easily disturbed. Don't do that. Jesus told you. He's telling you again through us. Galatians 1, 6-9, I am astonished, Paul says to the Galatians. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, cut off, anathema. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Do you think it's interesting there in Galatians 1 that Paul says in verse 8, even if we or an angel from heaven Say something contrary than what was delivered to you first and foremost. Don't listen. Don't listen. This is how the whole Mormon faith is set up, by the way, right? That somehow we lost part of the gospel, so they had to send another angel to deliver it to Joseph Smith, the real gospel. Uh, Paul said, don't listen to that. That's a counterfeit. That's a lie. And, and Paul's astonished with them. What, why are you looking to something else? That was it. It's done. It's finished. It's been brought to you. Look there. This is the gospel we're believing in. Hold to that. Don't go to the right or to the left. Receive that and hold it. And when something comes that's contrary to it, send it out. Shut your ears. Run from it. And beware of those who are delivering such things. That's why we don't shy away from naming false teachers. Because the sheep must be protected from wolves. And Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And he wants in here, first and foremost, the church. He wants to mess with God's word. He hates God. Therefore, he hates his people. And if the word is the truth, if the word is the way, if the word is everything to us about hope and faith and life and mercy and grace, then of course that's what he's heading for. This is why we have teachers, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
And listen to why. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We have to be sure on what we're teaching. And as Lauren mentioned to our Sunday school class, you have to test what I'm teaching you. You have to be a Berean in that Acts chapter whatever sense. And you have to take the word and you have to investigate by weighing it against the truth and seeing if what I'm saying is true. Because in 40 minutes, I say a lot of stuff. And if you are seeking the truth, if this is so important that it could cause you to lose hope and faith, then you must listen and investigate what I'm saying. If you go back a page to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you see in verse 21 that he tells the people, listen, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what? What is good. And there is none good but God, and God is truth. Therefore, hold fast to truth. Test it all. Sometimes it's too easy to flip on the TV and feeling like you want to be encouraged or whatever, and you turn on one of those deceivers on TV. Not all of them are deceivers, but most of them. And instead of weighing what they said, we'd say, you know what, that, that feels good. That sounds nice. That sounds encouraging. Yeah, but is it truth? We can tell each other all sorts of lies that make each other feel good, but are they true? No. We want truth. First Timothy 6 If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And when you boil it down, false teachers want what? Gain. Gain for themselves, gain for their platform, worldly gain. It produces these things. It doesn't produce life, hope, faith. It produces Envy, quarrels, dissension, slander, evil, suspicions, frictions. And I would add greed. Titus 1.9 is talking about pastors, elders, overseers, type of people they are. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. To be able to shed light on lies, on deceit. But as for you, Titus 2, teach what accords with sound doctrine. 
if we don't hold fast to the truth, we will give away the source of life and light. We will give away the source of hope that makes us to endure through all things that life throws at us. We give away all ability to grow in Christ's likeness, which is seen by looking at him in his word. We give away all direction on being an, an example on being reconciled one to another. We gave away all direction on how to gather and worship together. We give away everything that we have. We give away the gospel. We give away all influence we could have for the glory of God and for the good of our fellow man. Therefore, do not be deceived. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. Do you realize this? And I, and I really just went through book by book this week just to make sure that I was saying something right here. Every New Testament book or letter, except Philemon, which you could pull it out of there, except Philemon, speaks to the issue of false teaching. Every single one. Why? Because the great enemy, Satan, is the father of lies, and this is his M.O. This is what he does. Constantly lying. Namely, about the Word of God. About who God is. So every New Testament letter addresses it. Jesus addresses it in the Gospels Time and time again, he confronts the, the Pharisees, right, who have come under the influence of the evil one to spread lies about how to be God's people and how to relate to him. Then you move into Acts, and, and as soon as the gospel arrives on the scene by the proclamation of the apostles who have been with the risen Lord, in comes false teaching. In comes people trying to hijack the gospel for gain or for influence. Romans would be a great theological foundation to guard God's people from lies, from deception. Paul pours it out in Romans. To where if you get Romans, you cannot be deceived. Period. Then you move into the epistles. And Paul is constantly warning the people, the churches, watch out for this. Remove this person. I've handed over this person to Satan. Beware. Stay on guard. And through the rest of the letters to the church, except Philemon, even in 1 Peter and 2 Peter and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, false teaching is a problem. And the only way we combat that is with truth and with knowing the truth. Notice that in verse 3, he uses the term in any way. Let no one deceive you in any way. He explained 
a little bit about what that might look like to them in verse 2 could be by a spirit, a spoken word, or a letter that has our signatures forged on it. But you could add to that by way of Scripture, even by miracles. Matthew 24, 24, Jesus says this, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, God's chosen people. They are going to do great signs and wonders. And Paul says, don't even be led astray by that in any way. So what becomes the most important tool for us or source of truth? It's the Word of God. Because people are going to put on all sorts of magic shows to make you believe that they have the power of God. It's only seen in His Word. Revelation 13 talks about the first and the second beast are, that, that are, are going to appear and deceive many, and, and they are under the influence of the great deceiver. You read about this. I think this, the, the, the second beast is going to appear as one with a mortal wound, yet he's going to live. So people are going to be in awe of this beast who should have died, but he's like alive again, and they're going to be just blown away by that, they're going to follow him into what? Destruction. Revelation 12, 9, uh, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Thrown down where? To the earth. Which means what? Guess who's here? And guess what he's doing? We have to be rock solid in what truth is, or we will be easily led astray. And you may even think it a subtle thing. It may be very, very subtle. You know, I remember something that Andy and Rachel and I did last summer or summer before. Somehow we had some free time one afternoon at a youth camp, and uh, we turned on the religious channels on the TV, and we were just listening to these guys and women and just spout these half-truths. You know, they give a little bit of truth to suck people in, and then they throw out this disgusting lie, which would undermine everything we read about Scripture. And we saw how easy it would be to get sucked into these things if you're not solid on what the truth is. Imagine this in our context. If, if I dropped you off blindfolded anywhere in Kansas City, how long would it take you to get to Kauffman Stadium? Without a GPS, without a map, how well do you know Kansas City that you could get from wherever I put you in Kansas City to Kauffman Stadium? Well, how well do you know the gospel? 
that you can always return to the fundamentals of the gospel no matter where you are. Or no matter what tries to sidetrack you and say, oh, no, it's over here. Oh, no, it's over here. No, you know the gospel so well that you say, no, it's right here. And you only do that through the word. Which is just going to, the, the simple fact of it, it's just going to take you reading it. Examining it. Questioning it. If you don't have a curiosity in reading the Bible, if you don't have a desire to know, then you're just performing a religious exercise. You have to read the Bible with a desire to know truth. With an unquenchable curiosity of why and how some of these things are. That's what's amazing about Bible study. Because this whole book, 66 of them, are connected. Every one of them. Because it's truth. And there's one truth. I want to um, leave you with this. It's It's an encouragement. And it's where we, and it's where the Thessalonians should should find themselves. Because to verse 12 of chapter 2, he's going to, and we are going to, kind of unpack this man of lawlessness that's going to come before the second coming of Christ. And kind of what that is, and what that looks like, and we'll just kind of look at that. But here's where we should always be, okay? Because of the gospel that's been delivered to us, in Jesus. This is where we should be. Hebrews 10, 19-25 Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So do you see what the writer of Hebrews has just done there? He has reminded them of the gospel, the confidence that they have through the blood of Jesus to enter into relationship with God. There is a priest that has made intercession for them and made sacrifice or atonement for them so that the people are clean and can come in. Therefore, that's the gospel. Therefore, people, church, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? He's faithful. If he promised to go and prepare a place for you and then come again to take you to where he is or to take you to himself, he will do that. And you know that in the gospel. Therefore, what do we do now? We don't worry. We don't freak out. We stay calm, we stay hopeful, we stay 
looking to Christ, and we consider then how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's what he's praying for for the Thessalonians in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their trials, in the midst of whatever uncertainty they've grabbed a hold of. No, you know the things that are certain. They've been delivered to you. The fruits are being born. Go back to that. And do good. And may God fulfill every work of faith and every resolve of good. Therefore, don't neglect to meet together. Don't think that it's already happened. Don't think that this is over. But encourage one another with what? The truth, the gospel. That's why we meet, partly. We meet to worship God and encourage the saints. That's what Sunday is about. And we do that because he is coming. And we're waiting for that. We're hoping for that. We're growing even towards that day, that that day of glory. And this is all hinging on the word. This is all hinging on the truth. Otherwise, we don't have anything to encourage each other about. We don't have any hope. We don't have any surety. We don't have any confidence. We have no reason to gather. But this is the truth that's been delivered to you. And so I pray that you would receive it as such, that God would make you to know it, and that you would hold fast to that despite lies you're told. Therefore, the evil one will have no power against you because you wield the sword, which is the word of God. I pray you'd respond to him and his truth, and then we'll stand and sing together.